doing a series entitled, Oh, Taste and See That the Lord is Good. And last week we started, we transitioned from Psalm 34, where David makes that statement, and we transitioned to Psalm 103. And David starts the, soul by, uh, the psalm by reminding his soul to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. And all of my innermost being praise his holy name. And then he goes on and he says it again. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget none of his benefits. One of the things that puts us in a, a mindset to bless the Lord is to remember the things that God has done for us. Now last week I shared extensively on spirit, soul, and body, and how David learned to go from a man who had the opportunity to be depressed and overcome with his own failures to rising up in each and every situation and becoming the man who was full of God and full of the Holy Spirit of God and went from one potentially devastating moment in his life to breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. David says, forget none of his benefits. And to me, it's no little thing that the very first benefit that David starts to enumerate is the fact that God forgives him of all of his sins. You see, this is the foundation of our confidence. This is the foundation of our ability to come into the Holy of Holies, into the, uh, the very uh, presence of God. Paul writes in Hebrews, Therefore we have boldness to enter in. David says, bless God. Bless God all of my soul. And don't forget any of his benefits. And he starts with the fact that he knows God has forgiven him of all of his sins. Listen, if we don't have confidence to stand before God, we'll never have confidence to stand before the world. If we don't have confidence to stand before God, how are we going to have confidence to stand against the enemy of our soul? If we don't have confidence to stand before the one who loves us and calls us his father, how will we have confidence to face the issues of life and know that we're going to overcome the situation? So David, who says to his soul, come on, praise God. He understood that there was an order and there was a priority of order and the priority is relationship and the relationship has been fixed. Everything starts with relationship. And that's why the very first thing God does is reach out to us through his son Jesus Christ. And Jesus sheds his blood on that cross so that there can be right relationship. How did David become the man that he was so confident, so overcoming? David faced incredible moments of depression. I shared with you last week how he had been out fighting and uh, he and his men came back in the city that they were camped in, the city of Ziglag, was smoldering. Smoke rising over the horizon. And the moment David and his men came upon their camp, their village, Ziglag, the Bible says explicitly that the men were immediately grieved in their soul. So much so that out of their soul, their rattled emotions they wanted to stone David. And I shared with you last week how David immediately inquired of the Lord. You see, you can do one of two things. You can allow your soul to bring you down, or you can turn to the Lord and allow him to lift you up. Amen. Amen. 
David faced incredible situations in life. Difficult situations. Horrendous situations. But David learned how to be a man of great confidence and great faith. And it all comes back to the fact that he knew the heart and the nature of God. And that's why David says to his soul, come on, get with the program. Put a smile on your dial. Come on, stand up, get happy, think about God. And he starts to list the benefits of God. And in verse, uh, can we have the first verse up there, Tony? Thank you. He says, praise the Lord, all my soul, all of my innermost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord my soul, forget none of his benefits. Verse 3, he says, who forgives all your sins. Look, what gives me great confidence in life is not what Rob Scarallo can do. And let me explain, and it really doesn't need a lot of explanation. I can do good things, and I can do bad things. And every one of us, when we are conscious of the mistakes we've made, somehow we retreat within ourselves. That is the evidence of confidence disappearing, and now we want to hide. Look, there isn't a person in this room who hasn't sinned, and sinned horribly. But there isn't a person in this room that if you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, your sins don't even make the memory list in God's memory bank. Amen. Amen. I don't know how he does that. I, I, as a human being, I can't, I can't even begin to conceptualize it in terms of my own ability. I mean, I look at Paul Aquino and I think of every rotten thing he's ever done to me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but honestly, we go through life often rethinking about the injuries we sustained. We go through life still licking our wounds, even if it's only in our memory. We go through life, and as much as we try to think on the positive, occasionally those wounds and those moments that people have hurt us and disappointed us the most flash before our memory. And what I'm telling you this morning is, David had tremendous confidence because he was absolutely convinced that God totally obliterated the presence and the evidence of all of his mistakes. You say, well, Pastor Rob, how can you be so sure that that was David's attitude? Psalm 130, David says, you keep no records of my wrongdoings. See, I, I keep records of my wrongdoings. I want to forget them, but they come up. If they weren't there, the devil would never have anything from the past to try to condemn me with. But when he does that, I have to quickly look to my father and say, wait a minute. Devil, you might have a record of my mistakes. I might have a record of my mistakes. But the only person who really counts in this equation is what God thinks. And he doesn't keep a record of my mistakes. Amen. Amen. You see, when David says he forgives me of all of my sins, in the Hebrew, that's the same word used to pardon a criminal. And we're going to put that up on the screen. To forgive is the Hebrew word. If you were looking it up in the Hebrew dictionary, the Strong's, it would be H5545. And the word is sa-lak, sa sa-lak. Forgiven, pardoned, pardoned. We have a judicial system that we get a second chance, but our failures always hang over our heads. And I believe that God is wanting to speak to a number of us today that have really struggled with the spirit of condemnation.
I sense very strongly, aside from the fact that I prepared this message and, and this is what the Lord put on my heart sequentially uh, for this week, uh, I, I sense in my heart that there are folk here that struggle with the picture and the memory of your failures and your mistakes. And I want to assure you today on behalf of my Father and by the power of His Holy Spirit, God wants to break that terrorizing, gnawing feeling in your gut of guilt and shame and that sense that you will never measure up. Some of us go through life always trying to gain validation and never arriving at the place where we feel acceptable even in our own eyes. And that is a curse from the very belly of hell. And the reason why I say it's a curse from the belly of hell is because if you can't stand confidently before God, you will not be able to stand confidently before the crises that come against you during your lifetime. David had great strength because his strength was his knowledge of God. And this is what he knew. God pardons me of all of my mistakes. David went on to be a great king even after a dismal failure. And his failure, like today, was read across the headlines of Israel's papers. He committed adultery, had a child out of fornication, and he murdered the husband of this woman. David repented with all of his heart and God allowed him to go on and be king of Israel. You see, people might have continued to view David with a stigma, but David knew God didn't. And that's why in Psalm 103, he says, God, if you keep the record of sins, if I thought that you would remember all of my filthy stuff, even though you forgive me, how would I ever be able to stand in front of you? How would I ever be able to raise my hands and worship you? You're a holy God. If I thought for one moment you looked at me and you saw all of my past, I wouldn't want to come into your presence. And I want to say to you today that the greatest benefit that every one of us have received if we have asked Jesus Christ into our heart is the fact that God sees you as washed in the blood of Jesus Christ just as if you never sinned. And I love that. I don't stand here today because I have an unblemished past. I stand here today despite the fact that I've made mistakes, some worse than others, at least in my eyes. But I stand here today because the blood of Jesus is the strongest argument. It is stronger than every argument of shame. It is stronger than every argument of condemnation. It is stronger than a choir of demons who try to shout at me and point to my failures because all I have to do is point to the cross of Jesus Christ and he who knew no sin became the sin of Rob Scarallo so that Rob Scarallo can become the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, he kicks it up a notch. He doesn't just see me as if I never sinned. God sees me righteous like he's righteous. Whoa. Come on now. That takes it to a whole nother level. It's one thing to see a person forgiven and a list of their sins, but they're forgiven. It's another thing to see a person just as if they never sinned. That's incredible. But the Bible tells us that we become the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. He actually, God the Father, looks at us and sees us clean 
as himself. Wow. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Turn to somebody and say, that's incredible. You know, I've been uh, going through some church history, uh, the Reformation in particular, and I'm writing notes at the moment for year three. And uh, I think of the story of Martin Luther. Became a priest somewhat begrudgingly and could not erase from his mind the guilt and the shame of all of his sins. And even though he went through all the process of becoming a priest, he still struggled with his own mistakes and his own failures. And he he understood the holiness of God, but he also understood that he fell very short of God's holiness. He used to hide inside the uh, seminary and he would choose, he would elect his preferred thing to do would be to scrub the floors while the other seminary students were out preaching and uh, ministering to the people. He felt so dirty, he equated himself with the cobbled stoneways and pathways and hallways of the seminary and the best thing he could do would be on his hands and knees with a a bristled brush trying to scrub every stone absolutely clean. The vicar in charge of him said, you know, you need to stop because you're making it harder for the students who come behind you Uh, They're going to have to make their stones and their pathways as clean as yours. You're wearing it down. He struggled to such an incredible degree. He was angered in his heart because he knew the sale of indulgences, a practice which said if you pay money and make an offering, we will wipe away your sins and wipe away the sins of even some of your dead relatives, depending on how much you paid. And Luther was aware enough in his heart to know that this was abominable in God's eyes. It was blasphemy. It was sacrilegious. How could copper coins in a tin ever equal the blood of Jesus shed on a cross? And, And it angered him. And he started to write against some of the abuses and some of the extremes of the church at that particular time. But in the process, he gets a revelation of God to the point where he comes to understand he is justified by faith, just as if he never sinned where he used to have tremendous bouts of arguing with demonic forces as they would condemn him. And he would try so hard to rebuke these things, but they had a a hold of his mind. But one day, the revelation of the truth that we are justified by faith, by putting our faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished, it takes away the record of everything we've done. What he did is more powerful than what you did. How many can say yes to that? Our grossest sins and mistakes don't equal the immensity of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And what amazes me is that as Martin Luther continued to teach on some of the abuses of the church at that time, and he would, from Scripture... He would show that these things were in error. It finally got to a place where the church excommunicated him and damned his soul to hell. And what's amazing about all of this is that Luther became so convinced of his salvation. He became from one extreme to the to the reality, I was going to say to another extreme, it wasn't extreme. He went from the extreme of always being condemned to the ever-present reality of the goodness of God's heart that even as the Pope 
and all of the vicars above him condemned his soul to hell. If he would not recant the things he was teaching, he stood there absolutely convinced that he was justified by the blood of Jesus and with the weight of the entire church against him, he stood his ground because he finally saw the heart of God. He finally understood the nature of God. God doesn't want to be a list keeper of all of our mistakes. He wants to be the one who can have fellowship with us with no barrier in between. Come on, can I get an agreement? Absolutely. And so even though the church now condemned him, he stood convinced in the face of the whole religious world that though they condemn him, he is innocent in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, when you understand like David, when you understand like Luther, where you stand in God's eyes, it makes an entire complete difference to the life you will live. The more we understand that we are right with God, the greater the confidence in our life to be able to face obstacles and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, devil. You are not going to lie to me. We tear down every one of these obstacles that keep oppressing us because we are confident that God is on our side. Amen. Amen. What gives me confidence? I've seen the face of my father. I know his heart. I know his character. I know that he's with me and he's for me and he's not against me. I love that. I wish I could do that as well as he does. I'm working on it. But it doesn't deny the fact that he does it exceptionally well. Every one of my mistakes. I don't have to still pay for my mistakes. Sometimes, you know, we get into relationships with people, and without saying anything, they sort of exude an attitude, and we pick up the attitude that we're still paying for our mistakes. I want you to understand, your father never wants you to have that sentiment. The moment we have that sentiment, we have cheapened the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The more we can come with confidence into his presence, the more he's glad and he can rejoice because we have totally believed in the character and the nature of his heart to redeem us to the nth degree. This was David's confidence. He said to his soul, come on, you got no reason to be depressed. Come on, put a smile on your face. Yeah, they attacked Ziglag. Yeah, our children are gone. Our sons are gone. Our, our daughters are gone. Each man's wife is gone. David was too aware of the favor he had with God to sink into depression. Instead of sinking into the reality of the moment, he rose up in the reality of who God is. And he said, I am not paying for my sins. This is the enemy's work. God is going to bring back our family and he's going to give us the victory as well. Yeah! Amen. You see, there is a tremendous difference that will come into our lives when we understand that the first and foremost benefit that we have as born-again believers is that we are right with God, not because of what we've done right or because of what we've done wrong, but because of what he did. That's where our confidence comes from. That's where our strength comes from. Praise God. And so David says, I won't forget any of his benefits because he forgives us of all of, his, of our sins. In verse 8, if we were to jump down, David continues to talk about benefit number one. 
benefit number one is that God has forgiven you of all your sins. And in verse 8, even though he's listed the other benefits, he circles back. And in verse 8, he says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. See, this is where the Italian culture gets the concept of abundanza. Remember when we did the sermon on banquets and God's food, he always has an abundance. You see, everything about God is abundanza. God is abundant in love, abounding in love. So I'm going to read it again. The Lord is compassionate and he is gracious. I say to my enemies in the atmosphere, I say to the powers of darkness, you will not intimidate me, for I am covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and my Father's love for me abounds. Hallelujah. I don't go through life paying for my mistakes. I go through life enjoying the fact that Jesus paid for them. I go through life knowing that God is slow to anger, but abounding in love, compassionate and gracious. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. And I've already shared with you how David said, God, if you kept a record of sins, who could ever stand in your presence? You know what Paul says? Paul was very well steeped in the word of God. He grew up learning from a young age. He was tutored by some of the best Hebrew teachers. Gamel was the leading teacher in Israel at the time. And Paul, prior known as Saul, was tutored under this man. And Saul picks up this concept from Psalm 103 that God keeps no record of sins. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul writes to Christians and he says, love keeps no record of wrongdoing. Wow. David understood that God didn't keep a record, didn't keep a track record of his performance. God was always on his side. And David as he lived a humbled life, and when he made mistakes, was quick to repent, David was always innocent before the Lord. Amen. I love the fact that we can repent of our sins and pick up from God where we were before we fell. Hello? In, in life, we have a mentality, three strikes and you're out. How contrary to the nature of God. I've had three strikes times 10,000. And I'm still in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Am I condoning sin? You see, when Paul preached on the grace of God, even Peter made a comment in one of his epistles. He says, some of the things that Paul teaches they stretch our understanding. But some people have perverted his teaching and are advocating that we can go on living in sin because of grace. And Peter makes it clear that's not what Paul was teaching. What Paul teaches us and what we're talking about today is that when we repent and take ownership of our wrongdoing before God, God doesn't just forget it. He doesn't just forgive it. He washes us clean and says, okay, it's not even in your record and it's not in my memory. Wow. Those are powerful truths, aren't they, church? You're too quiet for me today. That tells me that the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Either that or I'm doing a miserable job. All right. In all honesty, at times I can be bold like a lion. 
my boldness doesn't come from the fact that I've laid hands on the sick and seen blind eyes open. My boldness doesn't come from the fact that I've prayed for one or two that had died and they came back to life. My boldness doesn't come from the things I've done, good or bad. My boldness comes from the fact that as Christ is, so am I in God's eyes. And that's why David says, come on, soul, rejoice. He's talking to his mind, his logic. He's talking to his memories, the things from his past. He's talking to his emotions, and he says to his emotions, come on, put on a happy face. Think on this. Don't forget the benefits of God. And the first and most important benefit is that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. What an amazing truth. David goes on to say in verse 10, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Wow, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. I want to tell you that I am far more blessed than I have ever earned. I am far more blessed than anything I deserve. I love the fact that God doesn't treat us according to our sins. He doesn't treat us based on what we deserve. He doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. You know, science still can't find the end of the heavens. Did you know that? They're still exploring heavens and galaxies. And the Bible says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love, his love, for those who fear him. There's no limit. David didn't understand that beyond the heavens that he could see with his eyes were further heavens. And that if we got a Hubble telescope, that there would be further heavens beyond that. David didn't understand that if we had launched a, a spacecraft into orbit and it went beyond Mars that there would be heavens yet beyond that. And yet David by the Holy Spirit is revealing the heart of God and he says for as high as the heavens are above the earth there is no limit. Our finite minds wants to draw a boundary line somewhere. We have boundaries everywhere in the life that we live. We live a finite life. But science tells us that there is no end to the heavens. And David, by the Holy Spirit, says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. And that's how far God loves us. Praise God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39, I am convinced that neither death or life, angels or demons, the present or the future, or any other kind of power, neither height nor depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if we were to break this down, uh, and, and just get to the nitty-gritty, Paul is saying, I am convinced that neither height nor depth will be able to separate us from the love of God. David says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much God loves you. There is no distance that will ever separate you from the love of God. Wow. Wow. And then he says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, there is an immeasurable distance between the east and the west. In fact, the east and the west will never meet. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far away God has removed our sins from us. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. That's an awesome thing. It goes on to say, the way a father has compassion on his children, 
God will have compassion on those who fear him. Amen. I want you to think about this for a moment. There was a man named Saul. This is a guy I said studied under Israel's great teacher, Gamel. Saul was fervent in his Jewish faith. In fact, he says later in life, there were very few people that excelled at the rate that I excelled. I was climbing the ladder very quickly, and I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was heading for the top. Saul got papers from the synagogue, from the leading elders, to stamp out these nutcases called Christians and to prove once and for all that this Messiah that they believed in was fake. And Saul went from city to city with papers from the synagogue, not just persecuting, but having men and women murdered for their blasphemous belief that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Until one day, as he's going to Damascus to hunt down some more Christians and add some more notches on his belt of Christians he's eliminated from life, he has an encounter with God. Now, I want you to think about this guy who terrorized the church and went city to city killing husbands, sometimes killing wives. There would have been many families within Christendom that would have had a deep hatred for this man, Saul. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Saul. And Saul says, who are you that I'm persecuting you? He said, I am the Christ. Saul gets saved. He gets converted. He had such a horrendous reputation that when Saul got saved, the Christians believed it was a trap. They didn't want to receive him in their churches because they were absolutely convinced that he was only going to go church to church and he was still unconverted and he was going to persecute the church even more. And so from the human perspective, the Christians, they saw this man beyond the grace of God. Do you understand that effectively they were saying that the blood of Jesus that atoned for my sins couldn't atone for his sins? There's no way he's really saved. And so they doubted this great miracle. They doubted this great conversion. But let's look at it now from the other side. Here's the Apostle Paul starting out as a new itinerant preacher with Jesus Christ in his heart. And he comes to a town and he's preaching to these Hebrew people. And in that congregation might be half a dozen women who lost their husbands because he had them stoned to death. How would he have the confidence to stand before the congregation and boldly preach the word of God? Except that Paul got the revelation that Jesus Christ not only atones for our sins, but God in his amazing love doesn't just forgive us, he holds no stigma over our head. We are pardoned and there is no record of our wrongdoing. Amen. Amen. Paul had more of a problem in front of the people than he had in front of God. We hold a record of the wrongs that people have done to us. But I thank God that our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ is bigger than all of that and he forgives us of all of our sins. Come on, stand with me and give the Lord a shout. Come on, stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Yes, 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 yes. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Praise God. Sometimes the enemy understands how we are wired. And he tries to leave a shadow in our understanding so that that shadow of sin keeps us guilty in our eyes. Do you remember the story when Moses sent out 12 spies to check out the promised land? And they saw the giants. Remember that? And what did they say when they saw the giants? We're afraid. They looked at the giants and they said, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Is that what they said? Is that what they said? Are you sure that's what they said? They said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. You see, in God's eyes, you're just as if you never sinned. What we have to deal with is our own eyes. Will we choose to see us the way God sees us? They did not enter into the promise of God because in their eyes, they were like grasshoppers before the giants. And the enemy counts on that to stop you from coming into the presence of God and doing great things. The enemy points his bony finger of accusation to try to keep, to try to keep us out of the confidence of accomplishing great things by the fact and the reality that it is Christ in us. He doesn't want you to get a hold of that truth. Because the more you understand it's Christ in you, and that you are a new creation and you're a new person, the more you believe that, the more you're convinced of that, the more you stop seeing yourself through your own eyes as being the person who did this, this, and this. Yeah, I'm forgiven, but I did this, this, and this. The more the devil can count on what we see in our own eyes, being still incomplete and having to pay a price and hold a stigma over our heads. The more the devil can keep us in that place, he will stop us from being the giants that we are in Jesus Christ. But when we see ourselves in our eyes the way God sees us in his eyes, there's nothing left to stop us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. As we close this morning, I want everyone to take a deep breath. All right, exhale. As deeply as you can, now take a deep breath. And repeat after me. I. Justified by the blood of Jesus. I live before him as if I never sinned. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. Say thank you, Jesus. The enemy wants to keep before your eyes your failures. Because if he can succeed, if he can get your agreement to see yourself from the past, he will keep a ball and chain around your ankle. But if the Holy Spirit can get you to see yourself through God's eyes, yeah, on this very point, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says, this is why I refuse to see anybody after the flesh. I refuse to see them as who they are in the natural. He said, because if anyone is in Christ Jesus, behold, everything has changed. 
If anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, the old has passed, the new has come. Hallelujah. Listen, when he says the new has come, he's not talking about the forgiven. He's talking about something brand new. The new has come. The old has passed. I'm not who I used to be. I am who God says I am. Amen. Every eye closed. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, you can experience the very thing we're talking about today. David tells his soul to get happy, and he says, don't forget the benefits. And he starts with this, because this is the starting point. And I'm telling you this morning that everything starts with this. Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you accept him, it's the beginning of a whole new life. So while every eye is closed, I want to give you the opportunity to experience benefit number one. Accepting Jesus Christ into your heart because God has already accepted you into his heart. Amen. So while every eye is closed, if the Spirit of God is talking to you right now and you've never done that, then I want you to raise your hand and say, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life today. Come on, raise your hand while every eye is closed and say, I want Jesus Christ to come into my heart. For those of you that are watching via live stream, YouTube, Roku, if you raise your hand right now, I want you to understand that God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, and he washes away the past. And behold, everything comes new. That's right. I want everyone here to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know you died for me. You became the curse. Everything that was in my broken life, you nailed to the cross with yourself. You paid the price so I don't have to. I take accountability for my mistakes. And I repent. I turn from them. And I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, accepting me, and coming into my heart today. I receive you. And I receive your grace. And the same way you have forgiven me, now I will follow your lead and I release myself from shame, from guilt, and from my mistakes. And I will no longer hold it against myself that I had failed or that I had sinned. The way God has loved me, I choose to love and the way God has forgiven me, I release myself from guilt and shame in Jesus' name. I will be confident of who I am in Jesus Christ. And I speak to my mind and to my emotions. I speak to my memories and everything else. And I say rejoice. Be happy, soul, because your name is written in the book of God's favor. Your name is written still to this day 
on the hands of Jesus Christ. I speak to my soul and I say, get happy because God is for you and God is with you and God is in you. And so I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. And I worship you. And everyone, let's put our hands together and thank him. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I want you to understand as you get ready to leave, the best way to get your soul back to a happy place is to look into God's face and identify the character of God. David said, God is slow to anger, but he's quick to forgive. He doesn't hold our sins against us. No stigma. He releases us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. When negative things happen to you in life, don't let the devil tell you, well, see, that's because you did this wrong and that wrong and God's getting back at you. No, recognize the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Call it for what it is. Call the devil out and rebuke him in Jesus' name. You see, Carl, I'm convinced I live under the approval of God's eye. And that's why he heals me. And that's why he walks with me. And that's why he answers my prayers. Not because I've lived a perfect life. I haven't. But I have, I live under the perfect love of God. And that's what gives us confidence. Turn around, give someone a hug, a high five, uh, greet each other. God bless you. Amen. God is good. Oh, we didn't take our tithes and offerings this morning, did we? You see that? People are waving at me. You could never accuse me of ever just trying to get your money. I mean, routinely I forget to take up the tithes and offerings. Amen. Well, come on down, guys, real quick, because folk are ready to leave. Father, we just thank you for every giver and every gift. And I thank you, God, that your approval towards us is unconditional. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, ushers. Yeah.